sing us the song of your people. Hunting in a winter wonderland. Happy holidays, everybody. I really hope you enjoy this season and that it brings a lot of fun and excitement for you all from Bubbles. Chefs, it's Oak. I wish you all a wonderful holiday season and a good start to the next year. Hello, my name is Connor and I'd like to wish everyone a happy holiday season and all the good luck for the coming new year. Howdy! Welcome to episode 16 of the Where Are We podcast. I am Zephyr Nazumi, your Orange Wolf, and in this episode we're going to be discussing dissociative experiences as experienced by members of the community, and this is going to touch both experiences that are related more directly with therianthropy and those that aren't. Today I am joined by, oh, I gave everybody fake names, so hold on, by Blaze, Bear X, Black Paws, Storm Dancer, Tiger Acolyte, and two guests. Uh, everybody who's been here before, say hi. Hello. Hello. All right. So today we are joined by Callisto Wolf and Theriana Four. Uh, Callisto was on for the Hal episode, but I'm going to give him a minute to reintroduce himself for those who are listening in. Hi, uh, my name's Callisto. I'm a Banksland Wolf. Therian. I've been in and out of the community for 20-some years now, and it's good to be back. And next we have Therian of Four. Uh, we're going to be referring to her as TOF at some points in this, this episode. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, hi, um, I've actually just entered into the community after discovering it this year. I am a odd culmination of a tiger, wolf, hawk, and a horse. Okay, I have a five-month-old Rex bunny who's a little clingy to Badgie right now, um, <laughs> and uh, and I do have a son who's a furry, a teenager furry. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, I mean, uh, I I I work. I, I do auto detailing. I'm an artist. That's pretty much me. All right. Well, welcome to the crew, both of you. Uh, it's good to have you both on. As mentioned earlier, we are going to discuss dissociative therianthropy in this episode. Uh, the definition, as said in the last episode, is a therianthropic experience where an individual perceives their theriotype animals as distinct entities existing within themselves, yet also having some capacity for independent action or expression. In this episode, we're going to try to focus on the experiences that the individual has uh, as far as things that are experienced in a dissociative state. And instead of just saying dissociative therianthropy, giving examples and kind of fleshing that out some so that people who are listening to the experience who maybe don't experience the same thing can relate to it and empathize a little better. I'll uh, start by jumping in and just saying a few quick points that are of almost the disclaimer-ish kind of nature. We are going to be talking about some kinds of experiences and things that are found in other communities aside from Therians and other kin. In fact, we're going to be talking about experiences that are found within the normal human population. So, for example, we're going to want to make it very clear that we're not at any point talking about disassociative identity disorder. That is a different thing, although it may appear to be similar at uh, the surface. Underneath that is it a much different beast. 
And another example that's become quite prominent in the communities recently that could be easily confused for disassociative theory entropy is the whole plurality issue. We're not talking about plurality for this episode either. So we just want to make it absolutely clear before any arguments get started that we are trying to look past the labels and just look at the experiences themselves because disassociation itself is a natural part of the human experience, let alone the theory and or other kin experience. Well, it's interesting because uh, talking about things that are not related to the theory and thropic experience, uh, I know I personally, I don't know if you should use the word suffer, but uh, I experience highway hypnosis and I always have like it's uh, for me personally, it's almost like I'm driving along the road, kind of zone out, go in my own little space. And suddenly here I am, I arrive where I am at my destination and I don't really remember exactly what happened <laughs> while I was driving, but yeah. it didn't hit anybody or anything. Dissociative experiences are extraordinarily common. Uh, highway hypnosis is a great example. Uh, daydreaming is another example. Uh, religious ecstasies. Um, in, um, in some Christian sects, there are gifts of the Spirit. Speaking in tongues, for instance, those are dissociative experiences. Depending on your belief, uh, you know, the origin may or may not be from inside of the mind, but psychology would classify them as a dissociative experience. And the reason for that being is that by disassociation, what's meant here is that basically, in a nutshell, if you're looking at one thing, you're not paying attention to another. In the sense of understanding therianthropic experiences that are dissociative, that's what we're talking about. It's the, you're looking at one thing, but not the other. So a lot of the types of really stronger shifts that therians experience would be considered a type of disassociative experience simply because at some point or another, you're disassociating from one side of yourself or the other. I would agree with that. Um, disassociate, like where the separation kind of comes in. Often what I experience is a, uh, a sense of quiet. I'm sure most people can relate to the constant going on in the back of uh, your mind but uh, when i am dissociated out uh, that is gone it is uh, not necessarily dead silent but crickets as if i was walking through a, a peaceful uh, quiet night it's something that's kind of been interesting to me um, as someone who suffers with anxiety uh, i've actually got anxiety disorders and my brain does constantly do that da -da 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 and there are like as far as my theory entropy is experienced, I think it's I'm I'm kind of go along the lines of that the slide rule <laughs> kind of thing. And there are moments where when I get more into my Therian headspace, I am much more present. I'm much more alert in what's around me. Um I'm I'm not lost to thought per se, but I, I'm not necessarily really thinking or focusing on anything mentally either it's uh maybe that's not a good way of saying it but yeah. just I'm existing kind of, yeah i'm kind of just existing and not thinking so much about that existence it's just like the, the kind of rawness of being there in the moment i have um with mine it ranges uh depending on which beast is out um most of the time i'm able to kind of observe 
like in a backseat kind of view. Um, I know what's going on. I can hear, see it's, you know, everything that they're doing. But other than that, I, I'm unable to react unless Tigers takes over in some cases. And then I don't remember anything. I've had periods with her where I black out and then I have to have someone recall to me what's going on and what she did. So that's a really good example of a very, very strong type of disassociative theory and experience where it's displacing your normal consciousness to the point where it's starting to affect your memory. How often does that occur? It, it depends on the situation that pops up. Uh, what triggers which beast to come out and how. Like I said, like the other three, especially with Wolfa, she's the most prominent, the one that's most with me. I, I get a backseat thing. You know, she's like, a, you can watch, you can participate, but you just can't react. I have control. So almost like I'm watching a movie. But with Tigress, with certain situations, she um, just takes over and I don't know what's going on. I have to be, have things recalled back to me. They're um, more amorous in nature. Yeah, I remember you were telling me about one night in particular when we were talking and you had one of those episodes where you were sitting in a chair in a bad position and because Tigress was in control, you didn't realize that until after she let go of you. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, I was leaning over backwards over some chairs, uh, patio chairs, and I had no recollection that my back had a big bruise on it until the next day. She had me sprawled backwards over an awkward position that for a cat wouldn't be uncomfortable, but a human body can't quite take that bendy <laughs> position. Ouch. In um, the early days on AHWW, the idea of a mental shift was often a disassociative experience. I would conjecture that the vast majority of the early experiences that were described as mental shifts were, were dissociative because we, we didn't have the terminology at the time. I don't know if that agrees with, with uh, Callisto or Blackpaws' experiences in the community from that time, from the 20-odd you know, years ago, um, but it sure seemed that way to me. Um, the whole idea of a shift is a transition between one or more states. And as soon as you're going from a state of ordinary consciousness to a state of animalistic consciousness, then almost by definition, that experience is disassociative. Precisely, because by looking at one of those aspects, you're disassociating from the other. Back when I first entered the community, I did notice that trend where a lot of people were, when they experience a mental shift, it was being described in a sense of, I no longer feel human, now I feel like my stereotype and thus act accordingly. And then they shift back to the human side. I mean, look at the terminology, side. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's it's a right slight... There. There's a slight nuance and a distinct difference between that experience and what TOF is describing in which she is fully displaced by one of her inner beasts. And you can see that in the way TOF describes what's going on is that her and Tigris are like two distinct entities. Whereas with my experiences that I would call disassociative, I might as well throw mine in here now. It's not like that. That's actually one of the things that I've always found really fascinating about having finally got to meet other Therians after being isolated for 25 years 
is that I simply do not experience my therianthropy like that. And, and sometimes I almost wish that I could. I would almost wish that I could have a dream about having an interaction with the inner wolf dog kind of thing, but it just doesn't happen. Instead, what I get is a more subtle disassociation or shift. Lean a little bit more towards, like you said, Bear, one side or the other side, but it's not two distinct entities. It's just facets of the same crystal. I'm wondering, though, I mean, just because there's a experience doesn't seem to mean that it's not also facets of the same crystal, as you put it, but at least, at least for what I've been picking up. No, it's a spectrum, I'm sure. That's a good word for it, it's a spectrum. As I was kind of trying to uh, explain on the, uh, the episode summary that we put together, you can, if you want to paint therianthropic experiences as a spectrum model, you could kind of take the disassociative, the really strongly disassociative experiences and put those at one end of the spectrum. Whereas a fully integrated therian, which used to go under the term contherian or suntherian, that would occupy the opposite end of the spectrum in a person who does not experience any kind of shifting or disassociation from their theriotype whatsoever. For me, it's like I've been 41 years of my life not knowing the terminologies, not knowing any of this stuff. For me, trying to put a label on on what I did, you know, with shift wise or switching from one beast to the next or the beast taking me over. I never had any of those terms to apply to myself. I just did those things. Right. I never had I never had to sit there and say, okay, I, I'm shifting in a tigress or this is what she's doing. She just took over. I didn't have a choice. Um, the first time she did that, I was 14 and it was a overly flirtatious boy coming after me in school. And he decided to pin me up against the wall and she decided to come out and pin him back. And he freaked out. He still won't look me in the eyes. I, I'm pretty sure to this day, but you know, it's like, I, I don't have a choice in how they come out. There's things that may trigger them to come out, but otherwise they come out however they wish. I don't apply a label to it's shifting or it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm transforming into them or anything. It's just, they are doing it. Mm. It's one of the interesting things about your situation in that I related to, and part of why we became friends is that both me and TOF have had this experience where we became aware of our theory entropy but then continue to evolve our own understanding of therianthropy in complete isolation from others of our kind for years and years and years and years and years. And yet, now that we're finally in the community and have had a chance to explore around, we do see lots of differences, of course, but we find the same things. And it's fascinating. Right. And like for me, it was growing up, shifting as I did, experiencing the beasts as I, as I did, it wasn't a, a matter of me trying to find myself or explore them. They just have always been the way they are. They only shifted their their roles from me being a child, you know, behaving more as guides and motherly beasts to being more a part of me as I got older and more mature. Um but I, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of the things in the community, the terminologies used is stuff that would apply to me. I just didn't have 
words for it. I didn't have anything to say, okay, I'm this, or I'm doing that, or this right. applies to my situation. And that right there speaks to the importance of having to, when we're getting to know people and learning about them, it really speaks to the importance of slowing down, looking past those superficial labels and talking about the experiences themselves, because that's where the real understanding is. To go back to something that was talked about, it seems like dissociative therapy at least felt a lot more common, you know, back in my and, and the Bears day. I mean, to the point where I thought that was a defining characteristic of it. Mm -hmm. And so I figured I couldn't possibly be one because I, I didn't have any sort of experiences like that. I think part of it, there's like this sort of stigma that I think eventually evolved where people who experienced associative things must have experienced some sort of trauma to create that. And I know like there are, are some threads on like TGE that are like, does therianthropy, does it stem from trauma? And largely members seem to say, no, it does not. I know in my particular case, like I did have a traumatic childhood in some regards. And I, I kind of wonder like in that sense, going into things that I've probably mentioned before, but as a kid, I, I was feline. I knew I was feline. I kind of just vibed and didn't worry about it too much. But under extremely stressful situations was when I think what I experienced that would fall into the dissociative therianthropy side of things, like under extreme stress. And usually when I felt like I was backed into a corner mentally, it felt like my side took over. And as a kid, I tried to be pacifist. I tried to be pleasant to everybody else. And a, a pissed off tiger is not entirely pleasant or passive. <laughs> so... <laughs> It terrified me because it, it felt like I was literally being possessed. And, uh, you know, I, I did not have the luxury of being able to go on the Internet and trying to look up what am I experiencing and that kind of thing either. So it's it, it terrified the hell out of me. <laughs> That's the way it did me. I mean, I, I didn't have the Internet. I, I mean, my first Internet experience was high school and it was basic. You know, you didn't get to really search anything. And I didn't get to touch a computer again until sometime into my marriage. And then, you know, I, I wasn't into online chats or communities or any of that stuff. If I got on the internet, it was to research just, you know, the answer to a question or to look up a recipe or something basic, nothing, nothing complicated. And I never took interest in a lot of social media stuff anyway. So I consider actually online chats and forums to be part of social media experience for me. So I never really got into it. Um, and on top of that, I grew up so isolated that I was like, okay, I'm an anomaly. So why look myself up and see if there's any more of me out there? I never experienced anyone else. I never sensed anyone else other than humans. That's all I had around me. And up until this year, that's all I thought there was, was just humans. And then me, the anomaly, the outlier, the thing that doesn't supposed to exist the way she is. So, and then my experience coming into the community wasn't even online. It was in real life. You know, that was my first Therian experience. I can totally resonate with that. Uh, having discovered my Therianthropy before realizing there were other people out there. You know, when I looked uh, to connect for other people, like, oh, I wonder if there's more like me out there. I didn't really hold out much hope. I came across um, otherkin.net and like, are they joking? Is this like an RP website or something? I don't know if I should take this seriously or not. It seems kind of far-fetched there would be so many. 
we'll look into it. Of course, there's there's a community right there. Like, oh, cool. I'm not alone. Jeff mentioned the the incident that happened when she was pinned by that boy, and uh, Seth brought up the the idea of generally being very passive until cornered. So I had an experience once. Uh, this guy was generally being verbally a bit just a typical bully, and I largely ignored him because that's how I handle people and one day he cornered me in a stairwell he pushed me up against the wall and at the time i'm still playing passive i'm kind of like just sort of gent just trying to wiggle out i think he's just being a dingus but no he's really he's really starting to hold me there and that's the point where like wolf steps in and now I'm in that cornered animal mode and my throat gets really tight and I slur out this let go of me before I hurt you, hands up in the air, and he never messed with me again. And then the second he let go, I snapped like right back out of it, almost like it hadn't happened. And I've noticed that a lot of times when I dissociate, especially with that kind of emotion involved, it's a very quick, it's in, it's out, it's over. And a lot of times it's over before I realize like what I just did. And yeah. I kind of look back at it and I'm thinking, okay, I didn't know I was capable of that. And I, I question, was that me to begin with? Most of my shifting experiences within with anything involuntary like that it happens in relationship to strong emotion or strenuous physical exertion mm -hmm. um like almost like i hate to put it this way but it's how it feels like i draw on the inner bear as a as a source of strength almost uh, absolutely um, absolutely and and that and 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 as Callisto said, it's very short. In fact, I I talked to Azzy Mexiwolf about uh, some of these issues, and there's an there's an interview with him that um, that I have that that uh, we'll get to later. Um, and he he calls them snap shifts because they're over in a snap. Um, and when he told me about that, I thought, oh, he's absolutely right that they these kind of brief dissociations happen and then they're over it's um it's it, it really is peculiar how it is a it's almost like the inner animal takes over for a short period of time but you reassert yourself if that makes I'm, sense i'm not sure if i've shared this story in my journal or anything or in episodes before but there was one point where i was probably like earlier 20s and not in a good spot of my life but trying to get things together right and a particular individual just kept badgering me, not not badger, bad word, because we have a badger here. But um, yeah, individual kept badgering me and like I kept giving buffaloing you. Yeah, buffaloing me. And I kept giving these cues of like, hey, you need to stop. You need to back off. You need to back off. And again, I at the time was extremely passive, like pacifist, didn't want to hurt anybody. I, I felt guilt for hurting animals like bugs and stuff like that in the house. It got to a point, though, where I felt threatened enough where I actually 
I hate saying this because it's going to sound kind of cringy, but I actually lunged off the couch and like lunged into this person and it terrified the hell out of him. Um, and then like in natural tiger fashion, after like letting into him, I, I ran away. <laughs> like, um, I, I laugh about it now. It's been like over 10 years, but, uh, it's, yeah. It, and then like when I finally had a chance for the adrenaline and everything else to come down, I'm like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> like, um, because as a kid, again, like uh, experiencing these mental shifts and, and feeling like this tiger possession had come over me, like I spent a lot of my teenage years afraid that that was actually going to happen. And literally, it's only happened like that one time that I just mentioned. And it was under extremely extenuating circumstances where someone should have just stopped poking the tiger, basically, and they didn't. So there was a. There's a something I read somewhere about a term that goes around in the military for a condition called code orange. And that's another type of disassociative experience that occurs with people under extreme stress. And what's happening is that a part of all the unnecessary clunky parts of the brain are shutting down so you can focus only on the one thing you need to do in that crisis situation. And it's kind of interesting how time and again and again and again and again, when Therians talk about their disassociative experiences of an extreme nature like this, you see the same pattern of uh, the feeling of memory loss, missing time, kind of feel like you were shocked by the thing. And like uh, you were saying before, it's there and gone in the snap. But see, that, that isn't always true, though. Um, it's not always true, but there are those um, most extreme of cases in crisis situations where you see that exact same pattern. Yeah, uh, it's like for me, the first time I had um, the shift occur, Tigers was the first, I guess when you say coming of age kind of reaction. But back when I was in kindergarten, I had a bully come after me. That was a snap shift uh, situation because he pinned me down and Hawk came out and he didn't come back to school. Um, <laughs> I hurt him pretty bad, but the teachers saw that he was beating me up and had me pinned. So I guess at that time I didn't get expelled. He did a different time and era, but I've had shifts that last a long time. I've had shifts that would last hours. And that's just because where I grew up at not having Anybody else around me, I spent a lot of time in the woods, a lot of time at the river, a lot of time in the swamp. I spent a lot of time away from the house. I started sneaking out of the house when I was around seven, and I would be in shift. And a lot of time, my little pack of dogs, of wild, half-wild, feral, thrown-out, stray mutts people would toss out that would just be added to my group. We would just take off, and I would just be the wolf running among them. I, I would put myself into the shifts as I'm going through the woods. And it, I mean, it kept me safe. I never felt like I was scared to run up against animals. I've come across bears and bobcats and I've never, I've never been afraid like they were going to eat me or anything as a child. I would be in shift and I would just not be totally in control of myself. Those were long lasting shifts and I still have them today. I have shifts that would last a while where I'm in my beast forms and I just let them go, you know, let them do what they want to do. I don't question when they come in and I don't try to control them or back them down. 
I used to try to do that, especially as a, a young adult. But I've come to the conclusion that in my later years that I kind of need them more as my guides and the more to, to lead me than I ever did when I was a kid. Interesting. I've had some of those long shift experiences. They can be, in my case, they can be voluntary. If the environment is safe and the situation is safe, I can achieve that headspace. But it's fragile. Yeah. It's almost like I have to watch it. In fact, one of the things that, that we did at, at a couple of the Howells is uh, someone would act as a ranger to make sure that someone who was deeply shifted didn't injure themselves or get into any problems. and they could then stay in that headspace without uh, worry that they might break something or injure themselves or someone else because they were being observed. We used to have a mailing list, uh, a few of us from AHWW, where we discussed it. We called it smallness because we didn't have the terminology for it, so we called it getting small because... The way it felt was that we were small in our head compared to the animal, which was out and exposed. That's a really, that's a fascinating metaphor for it, actually. Yeah, it's a riff on an old Steve Martin joke about the drug war. (laughs) He's like, it's a drug that makes you small. And it's like when they give you a breathalyzer test, (laughs) they just hand you a balloon and see if you can get inside of it. And if you are, you're small. So anyway, uh, it's a funny sketch. I'm sure it's on YouTube. But, <laughs> but those experiences, you know, learning to not just have those things as snap shifts, but to be able to hold on to it, that, that took some time to learn how to do that. And that's something to probably talk about sometime. I don't know. It might be lengthy for this episode. but Yeah, voluntary versus involuntary, I think would be a great subject. Yeah, voluntary and involuntary shifts. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I was gonna, you know, ask about that because you know, just as I thought disassociative theory anthropy was a defining characteristic of it because I was surrounded by it, I, I think I was exposed to a lot more of the voluntary. I'm directly exposed, I guess, because you know, obviously, you know, you can't count on being around you know somebody if they involuntarily do something like that. Again, I find it really interesting just because this is expanding my uh, horizons, I guess, in a way that I didn't think was possible, you know, way back when, because, you know, I was only around a small, around a small group. So this is why I've been looking forward to this episode, because it's really interesting in that sense. Since it's actually been kind of evolving in the conversation, might as well say this point. It seems worth pointing out that as far as disassociative experiences go, there are both voluntary and involuntary forms of it. And it's natural that people are going to experience both. Some one more than the other. In my case, most of my experiences, as I mentioned already, are of the less strongly disassociative type. But one thing that has been a key characteristic of the way I experience my wolf dog self is I experience it in two forms. The integrated form I experience as a wear shape that's kind of almost like wearing a pelt that's actually you. And, you know, I kind of feel like a continuous permanent state of phantom and mental shift. So I think of that as my wear form, so to speak. 
But my disassociative type of theory anthropic experiences that happen quite frequently, where I experience myself in wolf dog shape, it's usually in the form of a dream or a vision. A daydream counts. And in this case, I like, for example, right now, if I sit and I visualize myself sitting in the living room next to Zeph, I can actually see myself put my head on his lap. That I count as a disassociative experience, especially if it feels very vivid and real to me. For me, that has always been just a natural part of the way I experience my therianthropy. And then when I got into the therian community and then even started digging even further into some of the old shape-shifting lore and legends and what have you not, I got really excited because I discovered in the ancient belief systems there were two general styles in the way that people would shape-shift. They would have the wear type or where they would have the disassociative type where they leave their body behind and go off on adventures um, as an astral projection or however words you want to use to describe it. So the point of this whole long barking session ramble of mine here is that I've always experienced the disassociative types of Therian experiences. That's always been linked to a specific form for me. I don't hardly ever get the experience of being in a canine shape in like the first person sense where I'm in my body. When I'm in my body, I feel like aware. So while I don't have the experience that TOF was talking about, where the, um, the inner wolf dog is a separate entity, I don't have that type of experience. But I can disassociate from my human body and from my human self and become the wolf dog in an energetic sense or in a spiritual sense. And I think, again, maybe because of childhood trauma and things like that too, or maybe just because I'm spiritual, I've never figured that out quite yet. But same thing, like I, I find that I am prone to being able to easily, I'll use the word entrance, but it's probably not the correct word, to kind of put myself in that that state that is here but not here. <laughs> like it's it's. There's a term for it, it's called a liminal state, I think is one term that goes around in psychology circles. A liminal state is kind of half here, half not. It's it's freaked some people out before because there have been times where I'll just be sitting there and staring off in the middle of nowhere, and people are like, "Hey, Zeph, where where are you?" And like, literally in my mind, I'm somewhere entirely different. Like, and like, I'm not sure if that's the same kind of concept as like either astral projection or shamanic journeying or anything else like that too. Often when I do it, I am exploring for answers to some kind of question or or some kind of obstacle that I'm trying to overcome in life, something along those lines. But the only difference that it seems to me between because I have a lot of that experience too, and my reasoning has been the only difference between that and a shamanic experience is that the way it's induced. In my case, more often than not, most of my strongest experiences that I have of that nature are involuntary. I don't intend to ha- for it to happen. It just happens. And I did want to, um, not trying to segue from this too often, but for those of you who do, it's, it seems like everyone here seems to have some degree of dissociative experiences from their own perspective. So for all of you, 
do you find that if you do not indulge in voluntary experiences that it, it causes those involuntary shifts uh, in this case uh, does not allowing yourself to go into wolf dog headspace or tiger headspace or something along those lines does not doing that purposefully tend to lead into it happening on its own not not for me I have the same number of involuntary ones, whether I've had a voluntary one or not. They're, they just sort of happen. You know, if I'm super stressed, there's, you're probably going to be meeting some bear. Yeah. It's hard for me to answer to that one directly because I've never come from the position of trying to get away from my therio side. I'm the complete opposite uh, in the sense that it's always been something that I've chased after. Same. But having said that, um, the relationship is undeniable that the more stress I'm under, the more likely it is that I'm going to have stronger than normal uh, sense of wolf doggishness to myself. Mine is having grown up among, because I'm so closely tied to nature, I grew up in a pretty much a constant state of, of shift and, and being just me. You know, I, I referred to myself as the beast or the beastie growing up. I had no other term. Um, and so I, I was constantly in the indulgence of just being as I am and not having to worry about any other state. Um, I found as when I got married and I moved away from nature and more into city life and, and even more into city life later on, even after my divorce, I got to the point where not getting out into nature would cause me a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. So I would have to go right. to the mountains or go out and be among nature to reconnect and to be back in the beast form. Now it's like the way I am in my safe place uh, the way where we are right now, I can come and go and be my beasts and my beasts can come and go as they wish whenever it feels like it. Um, sometimes I may induce them like during meditation. I do a lot of that and the meditation will bring them out. And I do that also uh, as a way to reconnect. It actually helps anxiety, stress to just let my beasts take over for a little bit and let them take the, the wheel for a while while I just sit back and enjoy the ride. And that way it makes me feel more centered and more myself because I see myself as a part of them. They're my guides, but they're also a part of me. They, they make up the four parts of myself uh, that I see as important to my life. And without having that constant connect to them, um, I, lose in, I lose touch with those four parts of myself. Right. So unless everybody has anything else that they want to add kind of randomly i think we better start kind of segregating into the interview parts now i'm up for it about two years ago azzy maxi wolf and i did an interview for pink dolphin when he did an episode on dissociative therianthropy so um i've gotten to know azzy and uh, his therianthropy uh the way he experiences it quite well and so uh, when we were going to do this episode, I went and talked to him about some of the things that we were experiencing, well, that he experienced, that I experienced. And I asked him some questions uh, that we had decided on to ask people who we were going to interview. And uh, I'll go through them, and I'll give you his answers. Um, and uh, so the first question uh, was relating to the 
definition that we decided to use, which was a therianthropic experience where an individual perceives their theriotype animals as a distinct entity or entities existing within themselves, yet also having some capacity for independent action or expression. And uh, I asked him if, given that definition, did that describe his experience as well, and uh, what details did or didn't fit. And he described it saying that the wolf within will growl at him, the human him, uh, if he does anything the wolf doesn't want to do. So the wolf will communicate displeasure at something he's doing by growling at him through him. Um, and uh, if he does anything really the wolf doesn't agree with, he'll snarl or growl. He seems to have a fairly antagonistic relationship with his inner wolf. Um, and uh, I, I can relate to that a bit, actually, because uh, occasionally um, the bear has expressed displeasure with me. So that was what he said about that, that, uh, that you know, the wolf will growl at him. Then I, I asked him if his stereotype had a distinct, well-developed personality that was in relationship to his, and uh, what details he was willing to share. And he said that, yes, the wolf wants to chase deer, play with dogs, and care for the WPP, uh, wolf pup plushie. He has a, a surrogate wolf pup as a plush. And uh, he gets shifty if he sees Mexican wolves in photographs or film uh, and pups. He'll whimper. He'll howl if he hears wolves howl or his dogs howl. He experiences his therianthropy very intensely. Um, then um, I asked him if he felt if his stereotype could take over against his will and uh, what degree of control he had when this occurs. And he said that, yes, uh, he called it, it a snap shift. It's a type of mental shift, and he calls them snap shifts because they're over in a snap. Um, and he says he has very little control during those times, that he has to wrangle the wolf if it's critical for his safety or the safety of those he's around. The wolf is very strong, and, and he has to mind it, and apparently that can be difficult for him. Um, then I asked him if his stereotype was associated with significant shifts, mental or phantom, and did he notice any pattern in those occurrences? Are they associated with particular thoughts or feelings, or did he have any triggers? And uh, he said that anything sudden uh, can act as a trigger, anything that would scare the wolf, machines, people, loud noises, certain food smells, and uh, sometimes if he's shifted so far, He'll do things like jaw spar, bite, get down on all fours, and move around that way. Um, then I asked if his stereotype had undergone any significant change during the course of his life, and what had changed. And he said that before May of 2015, before he was aware of his therianthropy, he would hide from people or run away from them or machines and it would confuse people and they'd ask him why but he didn't really have an explanation as to why he would he would um, do this and uh it wasn't it wasn't until he became aware of therianthropy uh that that he had an explanation for why some of those behaviors existed then uh, I asked him if he felt as a, if he had a relationship of some kind with a stereotype and what was the nature of that relationship is it a partnership or an endless war between the human and non-human? And uh, he said that there's a, a level of dichotomy, that the wolf within wants some things that the human doesn't, and the human wants some things that the wolf doesn't, that he's at war with the wolf. It wants so much more than this human body can give it. It's also stronger when his human mind is weak, when he's tired or, or um, something like that. 
the wolf is stronger. Also, uh, he talked to me once about being sick, uh, having a fever, and that the wolf would drive him to still walk or get out and, and do things. Now, the seventh question that I asked him was a difficulty in explaining or finding acceptance with his Therian experiences uh, that were dissociative, and he said that, yeah, he was criticized and uh, shunned uh, in the Facebook Therian communities as a result of it. And I actually have to comment on that myself, because uh, when I returned to the community after a hiatus, the first place I looked to see where the Therian community had migrated to was Facebook. And when I, I joined a couple of the groups and talked about my experiences, I were told they weren't Therianthropy, and that what I was experiencing was not a Therian experience, which I found very surprising, because... You know, I was around during the AHWW days. I didn't take it to heart, but I was really surprised that dissociative Therian experiences had kind of fallen to the wayside. Then um, I asked him if, if he felt like his dissociative Therianthropy was linked with some other mental health conditions. And he said that, no, he doesn't really. Uh, the wolf has its own wants and desires. He does uh, say that he has uh, some uh, issues, but he also feels strongly that uh, autism and Asperger's are strongly linked, like required, he says to me. Um, so I, you know, I, don't, I personally don't know, um, but I have definitely seen myself a high degree of neurodiversity in the Therian community, so that's entirely, entirely possible. I suspect there is a relationship between autism, uh, neurodiversity, and Therianthropy. It's another good possible topic for, a, for another episode. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, because uh, autism is, is ep epidemic slash endemic in our community. Then I asked him, uh, the final question I had was if it had a spiritual cause, if he felt his dissociative therianthropy had a spiritual cause, and uh, if he had any details about that that he wanted to share. And he said that he believes that he was a wolf father in his past life, and so he has a, a wolf pup plushie that he has as a surrogate pup. He calls it the WPP. And it has a, a weird physical and mental link to his body. Just touching it or cuddling it calms him. It's like going from 100 miles per hour to zero miles per hour in seconds. He feels a massive physical sense of calming, and um, he says he knows that the WPP link is odd for most to understand, but it is what it is. So that's an involuntary thing, and I, I think, um, I mean, I, I've, I've talked to him about it, and uh, it really does. It calms him right down if he's anxious. It's a way, I suppose, for him to get in touch with with that inner wolf. And that was that was the basics of what he and I talked about. Hello from friends. I wanted to say happy holiday to the World Arte Human community. I hope you're gonna enjoy them. And no matter what you're going through, just remember that you can get through it and you can reach your goals and your dreams. It's not because life is hard sometimes or let uh, scars behind that you won't succeed. You can, you always can. Also, 
just remember that it's possible it's really possible and the community loves you and there are people that loves you and a little quote I really love someone somewhere is thinking about your smile and dreams of it and finding your presence that life is worthwhile and when you're lonely just remember it's true someone somewhere is thinking about you we're a beautiful community we are alter humans and we are beautiful creatures happy all day Hey everyone, I'm Jade, and I hope that everyone has a happy holiday season and a happy new year. This is Lycan of Theory and Guide, wishing you happy holidays and a barking new year. <laughs> Thank you to the members of the Theory and community who submitted those audio clips. Now for part two of our discussion. Does anybody have things that they would like to go over? I know we still have to go to Bob's interview, but just wondering, is anybody, at least anyone who has to go soon, is there anything that you want to talk about before we get into that interview? You know, to reiterate something I said before, I'm always sort of surprised at how the community has changed and developed because, you know, Barracks is a, a, a side you know, about, about his, you know, return experience sort of still blows me away when I hear about it, because like I said, that the spiritual stuff, the dissociative stuff, that's all I knew way back when, you know, to the point where I thought, you know, those were hard defining characteristics and to find that that's not true is both off-putting and I guess good at the same time, because like I said before, you know, it was, I think it was a big reason why I sort of denied myself the opportunity to explore that kind of thing early on. Black Paws, do you think it's possible that the people who sought out AHWW, who were having these experiences, had experiences that were extreme enough that they looked to them as as werewolf-type experiences, and thus those of us you were exposed to tended to be people who were on the more extreme end hmm. i hadn't uh hadn't considered that before but i can see where you're coming from and maybe i mean i suppose it's you know one good thing about social media being so open-ended democratic is that you know if so then you know it's probably encouraged folks you know who are less extreme to share their experiences and all that but huh yeah, I would definitely think heavily on that point, yeah. I only know the people whom I've met or talked to. The The idea of con theory, anthropy, and things like that started to show up about five years after I first joined. So I think people with less extreme, I hate to use the word extreme, but less... Turbulent. Turbulent, thank you. People with, with less turbulent... Uh, Therian experiences. Um, 
started to make themselves known. That was one of the main key things that I was looking forward to on this episode and bringing up is that that uh, spectrum model between uh, con theory and at the one end and disassociative at the other, that's, that could really be really important for a lot of people in understanding what they're going through. I, yeah, I agree. And it's funny, too, because on at least one site, and I'm not going to mention which one, but on one site, I, was, I started discussing dissociative theory anthropy, and my post got deleted. So I posted it again, and I got a message from a mod saying, we do not support that. It could encourage people to have mental health problems, and that it, it could be harmful to the younger members of our community. And I thought, if you go to the Therian Wiki, there's a whole entry on levels of integration. It's not harmful. And what I found somewhat rewarding is shortly after, I got several DMs saying that they were very happy that that got posted because it was validating to them. And you actually see that in the comments section of Pink Dolphin's interview. His interview in the comments have several people who said, oh, thank you for posting this because I thought that I was alone in these experiences and I'm not, oh, whew. It's a big, big, big help to people. And all we had to do is be ourselves and talk about it. Yeah. Just to kind of segue on that too, I, I think it's kind of like a, a because of a shift in the culture, like I, I do think that it's vital that we talk about these things in this kind of format too, because I think that people see the word dissociative and they they jump to a snap conclusion about it without listening to the the entire story. Maybe people just don't have the time or don't feel the need to go through and look for someone's life life story to see what that actually means for them. Well, it happens with a lot of words where people take them to mean something that is much more or different than what the word actually means. Right. You ready for Bob's interview yet? Since TA doesn't have too much longer, uh, I do want to ask one question and like maybe you guys can join in too and we can uh, shift to Bob's interview after that. But so like I, from a tiger perspective, kind of talked about some of the like negative dissociative experiences that I've had, but there are also the positive ones where like the feline takes over and it's like just this bees in the moment sort of thing. So, like, what about, like, what kind of experiences do you all have with that, too? I mean, dissociative doesn't necessarily mean it's just a bad or scary experience. You know, that's a good point. And I think that's probably part of why a lot of the stigma around the word originated in the first place. Right. Between, between that and the fact that you hear all these horror stories about extreme cases where people get hurt. But for me, my, some of my best aspects of how I experience my theory entropy are of a disassociative nature. I absolutely love just going out for a walk in the woods and just tuning right the F out of my human self and just losing myself in the moment. I just, I love, I live for that. If I don't get to do that often enough, my health starts to decline. Something positive, positive dissociative experience I had a couple months ago uh, I, I was laying in bed and I was gone in a mental, like I was out. I was on my side. I had my, my arms and legs out like they were four legs and four paws. I, I could like feel my tail and I, I was enjoying the bed. I was tapping on the bed. I was, I was out of it. And then my boyfriend comes to bed and he gets in next to me 
I roll over, I pin him, and I kiss him, and then I roll back away from him. And that's where it ended in that, I mean, I, I love him to death, and I kiss him all the time, but how we've grown to show affection to each other, that's, that, that's, not, that's not how I play my game. And when it was over, it was jarring in the sense of what just happened, and not in a negative way, and clear, he didn't complain, and I didn't complain, so I'd consider that a positive a positive outcome from that. Nice. I can think of a couple. Sometimes I'll sit in the bath and just kind of lay there, and I'll just kind of be in like a sphinx position, if you will. Just kind of lay there and soak in the water, and I guess I, I just kind of lose lose myself in that. And it's just a whole lot of cat there. It's it's enjoying the moment, just feeling the soak, feeling at peace with my body, because in that moment, I feel like sort of a simultaneous tiger human. And it's it's just a good relaxing experience. And then my mate will occasionally just come up to me and just start giving me these really nice phantom ear massages, and I just start melting and all chuff and just sort of lose myself. And then I'm like, ugh, just snap out of it. I um, sometimes go to a river that we have not too far away, and it's relatively deep, and I will go out wade out into it about midway into the river and it's about waist deep i guess it's more of a creek than a river at its deepest it's about four and a half feet and i'll just be bare in the river it's you know there's a lot of fish in the river and there's rocks and and i'll just forget humanity and be in that moment and it's almost like a, a temple in a way then along the lines of that religious ecstasy you were bringing up earlier as an example. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely a relationship. You know, dissociative experiences can be triggered by smells, by uh, locations. The religious ones in particular are triggered by rituals. I mean, there is a reason why so many rituals use rhythmic drumming, because that rhythmic drumming can generate a trance state. And... Uh, catalyze these kind of experiences. Exactly. I have one that's positive. It just took me a while. I had to find something that was rated PG. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Somebody had to say it. I know. Recently, when me and Badgie went to the mountains and it was snowing, I remember just the bliss of you know the Siberian tiger in me just loving the snow. And so we were walking down the path and there's these, the pines that are jutting out over the path. And I just like, just I'm face rubbing everything. So I'm, I'm face rubbing, marking the trees with my scent and just enjoying the, the scent and the smells and the quiet. And, um, it was, it was a, it was a, a moment with, with Tigress where she was just totally enthralled and could have just stayed there and been covered in snow. And would have been happy to find enough of it to roll in. That does sound really nice. I don't even like snow, and that sounds nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty then.
Well, like we said earlier, we, um, okay, I want to tell a little bit of a quick backstory here on this episode, because boy, oh boy, let me tell you, this episode was cursed. We first put this topic on the table a year ago, and it's just been one thing after another, after another. If it wasn't, you know, not being able to find someone to interview, it was just life taking over and COVID wrecking everything and yada, yada, yada. So it's been a year in putting this episode together. And even when we finally did get to the point of getting it together, you know, we had a heck of a time finding people who were comfortable talking about these experiences. And among those that were, two of the four we've interviewed for this topic chose to be interviewed by writing. So one person who approached us and agreed to answer our questions is going by the name of Bob. Hello, Bob. Thank you very much for answering our questions. I will now tell everybody what you had to say. Question one. Do you feel the definition given for the description of disassociative therianthropy describes your experience as well? Bob's answer was, I do. Some, anyway. Back when I was in seventh grade, some kid insulted me. I can't remember his name. Then threatened me, which caused me to have an intense mental shift due to my threatened state. So when I got incredibly angry, my mind ended up taking a back seat, consciously wise, and it's like I'm viewing a TV screen. I am not able to control anything beyond a few things. I can barely hear anything other than when my prey yelled out, She's possessed! I don't know if the entire room was truly hushed, but it was totally silent other than that one thing. I saw everything in a narrow type view, like everything else was black. But yeah, it was like I wasn't in complete control. I was growling at him, slowly approaching him while keeping my eyes locked on him. I nearly got him up on the wall at the far end of the room, which made the teacher send him down to the office. And then once the threat went away, I sat back down in my seat, cooled down, and stopped with the growling and all my senses returned. So in short, said that I don't feel like the description given describes everything because this kind of thing only happens when I have a really scary experience, you feel threatened, and I believe my theriocide is trying to protect me. So the next question I asked Bob was, does your theriotype have a distinct personality in relation to your own? And Bob said, I think he's generally more aggressive than I ever could be, but beyond that, no. Fair enough. Next question I asked was, is your theriotype experience also associated with significant shifting? And Bob said, usually I have M shifts, mental shifts in other words, but they are more of a hunting type. Not anything significant, but sometimes they get strong and I have to listen to some music or something to calm down. Next question was, has your theriotype undergone significant changes? And Bob said, I once believed I had the stereotype of a cat, spider, dinosaur, all throughout my childhood. Given by the tone of wording there, it seems to suggest that Bob no longer does. Next question, do you feel you have a relationship of some kind with your stereotype? And Bob said, he usually is a protector type stereotype, but nowadays he wants to manifest mentally and act out on, on stuff. But I have to keep listening to music and stuff to chill him out. Other than that, not much. Next question I asked Bob was, have you encountered difficulty in explaining or finding acceptance of your theory and experiences because of their disassociative nature? And Bob said, yeah, initially, but it seems like this community, meaning TG, is really accepting. 
I also was worried that people wouldn't accept my stereotype being a stereotype and not other kin. I just had a problem with one person in the community. So overall, it's fairly well received beyond that. Next question was, do you feel your disassociative theriantropy may be linked with any other mental conditions? And Bob said, sometimes I wonder, but part of me doesn't really want to accept it because I'm afraid I'm muddying the waters of those who legit have it. I just feel like I'm insulting them somehow, you know? I wouldn't be surprised if I did legitimately have it, though. You know, that particular response there I found interesting. It just speaks directly to the core of the kind of worries that people have about coming out about these types of experiences because they don't want to create misunderstandings and they most certainly don't want to insult anybody. Now, our last question was, do you feel like your disassociative theriantropy has a spiritual cause of some kind? And Bob said, I actually have no idea. It might be. Or it could be just a result of my trauma as a kid. But yeah, I'm unsure. And then just before we were about to wrap this all up, they remembered another experience that they had and typed it out to me in Discord. So to wrap up the interview answers that we got from Bob, they've told us about an experience that they had where I just remembered another disassociated episode where this kid took the ball away from my best friend at the time. I roared to the heavens and then just saw flashes of imagery of me kicking his butt and then my mom had to pull me away. Once I was pulled away, I snapped back to reality and saw the kid crying, his back skin exposed, and I instantly thought, what happened to you? I eventually apologized to him, but I honestly don't remember hurting him. I didn't even see red at the time either or anything. I guess I should probably consider that a disassociative episode because at least some part of the human me was turned off for about three seconds. End of interview. So there you have right there, that last particular story is a classic. It sounds exactly, almost exactly the same as what Azzy was talking about with these snap shifts. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. I had only one or two such um, experiences like that that were, as in both cases, they were triggered by um, a situation of violence where I felt threatened, bullied, and... I snapped finally, and what was really peculiar to me was how it affected my memory. When it happened to me, I didn't get a memory gap. I got a memory displacement. I knew for a fact that I had hit the kid in the face with my fist, and pretty good. He had two black eyes and a missing tooth. I, I messed him up pretty good. I knew that's what I had done to him. But in my memory, I saw him from ground level, and I was leaping up at his throat. I do not remember hitting him with my fist. I remember leaping at him from ground level as though I were in canine form. And that's pretty much the only time that I've had um, a crisis situation come up where it caused that. And that's it. That's all we have from Bob. That's really interesting. So when, when you say like the memory replacement, do you think that your physical body, you actually got down on all fours before leaping at him? No, no, it's definitely not what happened because I remember the start of the attack and I was definitely coming at him in too late form, but then my memory just kind of like, it was very similar to what Bob described and it was like everything else around what you're looking at is kind of blacked out. 
And that's where the memory just kind of snap changes from me coming at him with my body to me coming at him as though I were in canine form. That's really interesting. It's really weird. I would like to kind of uh, go back to what Bob responded to as far as like being a, being timid toward saying that, yeah, I probably have some kind of mental health condition or, or whatnot in fear of offending other people or whatnot, too. I think that's part of why it's important to just uh, people need to just describe their experiences as they are experienced and trying to keep away with the buzzwords and everything else like that too. just put it all out there and let people make their own decisions. Yeah, avoid the labels. Yeah, if people decide that, yeah, okay, well, that sounds like some kind of something that's aligned with autism or something like that, then I I like to try to not, I don't know, I've seen the word front load. I'm not sure if that's appropriate or not. But to try to, I try not to bias someone into thinking something specific when I tell about my experiences in that way. So they're more free to form their own opinions because that's where I'm more likely to get more honest feedback from them too and it may be suggestions that i have not thought of i I would say that people shouldn't necessarily feel afraid to talk about their experiences in fear of backlash from others in that kind of sense but you, you can try to find a constructive way to talk about it without using those buzzwords or trying to make it sound like a similar experience if you're not sure that's what it is i think it might be tied into the way discourse takes place these days between forums and uh, social media with character limits and such. I'm not really familiar with Facebook. I don't know how detailed people get into there, but like a lot of people try, they want to express really complex ideas really quickly and they they fall back on those, those buzzwords. Twitter is really horrible about that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Someone asked about, I I don't even remember what the topic was a few days ago. And like, I I wanted to go in and give them a sort of the same kind of experience that I just talked about. I want to give them without buzzwords, a well-rounded picture of what this experience is for me. And I'm like, uh, darn it, character limit. I've got to edit everything and make sure it fits into a little tiny neat box and it just it it doesn't work yeah that does not help people to understand each other that's one of my biggest beefs about that kind of platform yeah some people will type it all up and then take like a a screenshot of their essay or their paragraph and then put that in there but you know i I never thought about that (laughs) Uh, that that sounds like a good idea i like that the the picture thing does work i feel like if you're going to go to that length Maybe you should just send it in a DM if they're if they're open. But, but what you're saying is that a picture could literally be worth a thousand words. Yeah, there could be a th- <laughs> there could be a thousand words in there. <laughs> and then you can sign it with uh, a little a little tiger smiley face, a little face. Right. All right. So does anyone else have any reflections for the content of the episode as we've had it so far? What about the um, disassociation versus integration over time? I know there was um, one thread I remember encountering on TG a while back talked about this idea of settling and how a lot of the times Therians talk about how um, in their earlier years of being aware of their Therian entropy, 
they had a lot more shifts going on. And in other words, according to our definitions that we're using, they had a lot more of these disassociative experiences going on. And then as time goes and as life goes on and they mature as individuals, um, they gradually integrate more and more and more. And as time goes on, they become someone who leans more towards the the non-disassociative end of the spectrum. Something that I noticed in just what the things that are discussed um, as of this recording, uh, most of us have said that dissociative states were caused by strong emotions. And I'm thinking that back as a teenager, uh, I mentioned that I, I had traumatic experiences. I had very stressful living environment. And uh, those are when I remember the most intense dissociative mental shifts, the, the, the terrifying ones. And I think that as I've grown older, um, I still do have strong emotional reactions to things, but it's not quite that strong. And I'm more in control of it. So I wonder if that's n not part of why I have become more integrated, uh, especially in the last three or four years where I've been going through various uh, different avenues of anxiety treatment. Some of it just mindfulness and everything that kind of goes along with that. Being less distressed, I I still zone out all the time, not going to lie. <laughs> Highway hypnosis happens all the time. It, it still happens. But those scary mental shifts don't unless I am in an extremely strong emotional situation. It sense to me that when you're younger, especially if if you're tied to the more emotional stuff, you know, as teenagers, emotions are very overwhelming. As adults, emotions can be very overwhelming, but especially as teenagers, you're going through a lot of first-time things, and they can set off uh, those kinds of shifts. And I would say that, like, based on the spectrum model, I started off towards the associated end, and then as it matured, I lingered more towards integrated and then uh some life changes happened that started inching me back towards the other way uh, like you, earlier you asked about uh involuntary versus voluntary uh there was a phase of my life where i had like kind of my trifecta of We'll call them coping mechanisms that would keep the wolf in check. That there was, it was like kind of, you know, melded into the background. And <clears throat> as I lost those coping mechanisms, that's when it came back to the surface in a very strong way. And that's what actually prompted me uh, to return to the community uh, this year because it was something that I thought. I had a uh, control on this aspect of myself, and now that's that's gone. And so I was trending back towards the dissociative, the the minor acting out, and such. And I guess just overall, you know, as as we mature as people, we get better, uh, you know, mentally handling our emotions and I think for some people that could keep those things in check where you could feel integrated. It's also to a large degree 
linked directly with the whole process of self-discovery. And as you get older, you get used to who you are and, and it just becomes less of a deal after, after time goes on. But it's interesting that you brought up the point there where this um, transition, this trend of changing gradually from disassociated to more integrated. It's interesting that you brought up that that's not a one-way street necessarily that it's more like a pendulum or a dimmer switch that can move back or forth depending on the circumstances in your life. Yeah, swinging. I swung back the other way. Right. One of my big coping mechanisms, I, I am also a furry. And fursuiting was a huge, it, it was a faucet. It was an absolute faucet uh, for the wolf. I could run around like eight to ten hours at a time in that headspace and in a sense you know i was i was wearing it out and i was doing that at multiple conventions a year and other charity events we did and then once COVID happened my big faucet got a plug in it and it all started to build up yeah that makes sense you gotta let your wolf zoomies out somehow you know well <laughs> yeah i uh, people that know me do know I'm I'm really big into the running thing, and that was something that before I had gotten my hands on the fursuit, uh, a lot of times a mental shift would be preempted by this anxiety of I need to get out and I need to go running like right now, and it didn't matter if it was you know, one in the morning or, you know, just a, a very inconvenient time. I needed to go do it, like, right now. So a lot of times, uh, you know, TOF talked about sneaking out of the house, uh, going into the woods. So I would leave the house, and I'd go out in the woods, and I'd run around, and I'd play in the dirt, and I'd rub on the trees. <laughs> uh, I would just be having an absolute blast. And after... Uh, but besides moving, of course, uh, took that from me. But uh, those those kinds of urges uh, stopped uh, once I could basically, you know, put the the dog on and and just act out. I'm really looking forward to having that experience. Oh yeah, absolutely. Once you once you get one, it is it is priceless. I I think it's it's uh it's very therapeutic in, in a sense. Uh, you just reminded me, actually, you were telling me about one experience that you had recently walking through a field of grass with it on that you yeah. could probably consider. You want to tell us about that one? Sure. Um, so I, I was out hiking with some friends, and I, so I, I, bring, the, I bring the dog with me when, uh, when it's applicable. And we were taking a break. I, I put it on. And I'm walking out into this field of grass, and it's probably like three feet high. It's way overgrown. It's this abandoned area. And as I'm walking through it, I could feel the grass like combing through the fur on the suit. And, you know, just the lightest touches were coming through to my skin. And it felt so real 
in that moment that I actually, you know, in that moment I was a wolf stalking through a field and I could look down and I could see like uh, my, my paw pads and I was uh, a loss in the moment as I describe it, or you guys talk about, uh, you know, vibing, uh, that, that was a pretty powerful one. And I wanted to keep going like deeper, deeper, deeper. I wanted to go run to the woods, but of course the, the human side is like, no, you're going to trip over something because you can barely see with this. <laughs> and, uh, I, I'm a big fan of taking it out. I've taken it out into the mountains, uh, into some, some pretty remote areas, and it's it's really liberating to throw it on and just be. Uh, it's something I, I kind of want to try at a howl sometime. Maybe if I swing around to the next one, I think it'd be a good experience, and maybe give someone else a chance a chance at it and see if they would enjoy it. Once I get mine, I want to slap a GoPro onto it and make videos. Oh yeah, go go for it. <laughs> All right. Any other stuff before we move on to community promotion? I think we could technically use the uh, the Hal topic as a segue for the Badger Butt to come in and start talking about Colorado. Yes, the Colorado Hal. It is still on. Um, I don't remember if I mentioned this before in a previous episode, but the ten, the dates are June third to the fifth, June twenty twenty two. Out here in Colorado, I have a uh, Telegram group set up for it. And if anyone is interested in attending or wants to know more, um, just message me on Telegram at TStormDancer. Or you can email the uh, podcast group here. And your your personal email is uh, TStormDancer at, is it Gmail or Hotmail? I don't remember. At Gmail, yes. Uh, so the, the the Colorado Howl, uh, fursuit friendly or no? Uh, let's go ahead and make it fursuit friendly. Why not? There you, there you go, Callisto. If you don't hit the VA Howl next year, uh, oh, actually, I need to speak about that a little bit too. But if you don't hit the VA Howl next year before you go to Colorado, there you go. There's a chance to get your suit on. <laughs> yeah, I'd, uh, yeah, I'd love to. We'll see how the schedules work out. If you follow on the Bird app, uh, today I also, I think it was today, I announced that the Virginia Howl, we are talking about expanding it so that we have a spring howl and a fall howl. We don't yet have details set in stone, but discussions are ensuing. So if you are looking to possibly attend a howl on the East Coast and you have not participated so far, feel free to reach out where we podcast at gmail.com or just find Zephyr. I'm, I'm all over the place sometimes. I don't know. Uh, maybe I uh, kind of blend in a little bit with the stripes. But uh, if you have any questions or anything like that, it is going to be a 21 and up Hal. Uh, I don't think we have too many more details beyond that to express at this point. But if you are remotely interested, feel free to boot my snoot somehow and uh, we'll see what we can do there. Community promotion-wise, a uh, few folks on here would like to talk about Kira's Therian territory. So, uh, 
I've just recently started branching out a little bit more into a few different Discord communities and what have you not. And very recently, Kira from Therian Territory has set up a new Discord server. It's been going great so far. We're just crossed the 200 member mark. I think it was yesterday and shining mighty fine. Some of the neat features got going on there include some fun stuff like uh, question of the day. There's all kinds of movie nights. I think they're trying to get gaming together a little bit. And then the, um, the site itself has got all kinds of different rooms, neat little rooms for talking about all sorts of different stuff like plurality. The LGBT has got their own section in there. It's just really, really, really well organized. They've done a fantastic job of covering all kinds of different bases, trying to make everybody feel comfortable. I myself have kind of taken up residence and cornered the writing channel as I, in November, took on the NaNoWriMo challenge and beat it for a third year in a row. So naturally, I had to go into uh, Kira's writing channel on Therian Territory and bark all about it. I've also started uh, talking a little bit in the spiritual channel. There's a very, very strong spiritual focus to Therian Territory, which, of course, I found very appealing because that's something that I kind of feel has been not talked about as much as it could be. So that in itself really made me feel at home. And on top of it all, the staff so far has been great. And yeah, if you happen to come across an invite to go and check out Therian Territory run by Kira on Discord, I would absolutely recommend doing it. It's been a blast so far. All right, then we'll start with a wrap up. Thanks again to Callisto and TOF for joining us today. If any of you listening have any uh, feedback for the episode, feel free to email us at wherearewepodcast at gmail.com. We would appreciate it if you toss us a like on whatever app or program you're listening to us on. Uh, leave us a comment, that kind of thing. Show us some love. And if you have any suggestions for future content or if you have a response to the episode content that we had this time, feel free to send that in. We would love to hear from you. Give us the like and subscribes. But yeah, we appreciate any feedback that we get and we want to make sure that we are producing content. Um, actually, I do want to say that someone reached out to me and it, it's interesting timing. They they left feedback that they would want to hear more experiential topics. And it was while we were setting this one up. So if you do have any suggestions for content, feel free to reach out to us. We'll do the best that we can to reasonably accommodate. And with that, I think we're going to move on to the Dear Badgie. And now for our segment, Dear Badgie, Striped Perspectives on Spotted Questions. This question comes from Bubbles, who asks, Dear Badgie, why are you so scared of Uwu? What did the Uwu ever do to you? Well, Bubbles, I'll tell you what, I'm not really scared of it, so I'll give this uwu a try. I just need to get with our, my law, our lawyer here to uh, see, you know, the legalities of when, where, and how I can uwu it. Oh, no. Besides, you know, I read on the internet, if I do, if you uwu too much, you'll go blind or something. <laughs> uwu, do you know anything about this? And with that, we're going to be canceled. You're going to be a pop pop woofer. Well, now we know why the lawyer's been drinking whiskey all night. 
<laughs> I'm surprised we even have a lawyer at this point. This is his favorite segment. <laughs> We're his entertainment. <laughs> Uh, but uh, Badgie, seriously, if you're going to try Uwu, be careful. I hear it's a gateway drug. I can handle it. Straight to the OO. <laughs> oh, that's what they all say. Okay, thanks. Bye. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight. We're hungry tonight. Hunting in a winter wonderland. Gone, gone away, we ate the bluebird. Here we chase another new bird. They sang a love song till we came along, hunting in a winter wonderland. In the meadow we can hunt a human. We'll pretend that he is Parson Brown. He'll squeak, are you werewolves? We'll say, yes, man. Right before we start to talk him down. Later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire. To be unafraid, the plans that we made, hunting in a winter wonderland. In the woods we walk without a sound As we creep into the busy town They'll scream, ah, it's werewolves, we'll say, oh, yes Then we'll chase the villagers around Later on we'll retire As we rest by the fire our stomachs are full from the feast we both ate, hunting in a winter wonderland. Hunting in a winter wonderland. Hunting in a winter wonderland. Arr! Arr!